is encouraging the young people and I think a healthy church also is when the younger people realize that the older people are to be respected and to be honored just as the scripture says and to realize that that they have something to offer that we can listen and we can learn from them do you understand what I'm trying to articulate that we, we can really bless one another and, and be an encouragement to one another. We all have things to offer and, and that we want to be able to do that. And that's what David is doing. He is taking the time to minister to Solomon and to exhort him and to bless him. And he says, you be strong and prove yourself a man. Prove yourself a man, Solomon. Men, we need to be strong in the Lord. And the way to do that is what David says here as he continued in verse 3. He said, keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. This is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And so here David is telling Solomon, this is how you can be strong. This is how you can prove yourself a man. I think it is so sad today in our society that many people and young men and Young women, they, they look to those who have fame or money or, uh, you know, prestige or whatever, uh, and they look up to them, even though they may not be interested in the things of the Lord. Um, they're not, uh, have any kind of godly integrity or, or character at all, but they're famous. They got a lot of money. They got a name. I was reading an article just kind of quickly this morning, glancing at it, at one NFL football star who perhaps is headed to the Hall of Fame and just reading about his life, how he has multiple children through multiple women and how he's neglecting them and not providing for them. But yet, you know, people will look at this individual and say, what a great football player and he's popular and, 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 and very much looked up to as a football player. But I think, what kind of a, a man is that that does something like that? Is not a man of godly integrity, that's for sure. And so what I pray, guys, is that you would look to, to the ultimate example of a man's man, and that is Jesus Christ. And that we would learn from Scripture what it really means to be a godly individual. A godly woman, a godly man, with godly integrity and honesty and desiring to know God's ways and to walk in his ways. That's what we need to do, and that's what's going to help you be strong, and that's what's going to help you prosper in your ways. Again, Joshua was told the same thing. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, God told Joshua to be strong and of good courage and to meditate on the law, observe the law, that you may prosper wherever you go. And if you and I want to prosper in the best sense of the word and to do well and to be strong, to know the Word of God. And not only knowing the Word of God, but follow the Word of God, keeping the Word of God. To take charge means to observe it, to have it worked out in your life. And of course, Jesus would talk about that, that what's in your heart is going to be worked out in your life. And that is a very simple but very important spiritual truth that we need to know. It's not just knowing the Word of God in your head, but having it in your heart being worked out in your life. Because you know very well that whatever is in your heart and whatever is in an individual's heart, that is what's going to be worked out in their life. So to know his ways. And that's why notice that David says in the text that we read that, that you would walk before the Lord in truth and with all of your heart, Solomon, with all of your soul. 
And that's something that you and I need to remember, to know him and to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The book of Deuteronomy, Sue and I were talking about this last night as, as Sue is getting ready to do um, a devotion at a lady's tea, and the theme given to her was Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, where Moses is telling the children of Israel, here they are, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. This is a new generation. In the book of Deuteronomy, they needed to hear the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. It means the second law. It's not a different law, but it's a second reading of the law to this new generation that physically they're ready to go into the promised land, but spiritually they're not. So Moses, he gives them the law once again. He, he gives that new generation the law saying, this is what the Lord says. And he tells them, take heed to yourself. In other words, you take care of yourself spiritually. Make sure that you're walking in his ways, his statutes, his commandments, and to do it with all of your heart. Know the Lord and follow after him and love him with all of your heart. And that's what's emphasized in the book of Deuteronomy. If you ever notice, because you see, we can go through the book of Deuteronomy and it's law and it's law and it's law and it's law. But here's the thing. If you pay attention, the Lord's emphasizing that you follow me with your heart. So you go to chapter 6, that parents, you teach your children diligently the law of God, the word of God, and to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you go through the book of Deuteronomy, you see the Lord is saying to the children of Israel, Oh, Israel, that you would have a heart for me. That you would have a heart for me. So the thing that we are to do, I pray that we would do as David would do, is he would say, Lord, search me and try my heart. Search me and try me. And the question tonight is, what's really in your heart? Do you have a love for the Lord, the, the Word of God, desiring to follow after Him? And as you do, as you take charge, as you follow after Him, as you love Him with all of your heart, and you see that's the most important thing in our walk with the Lord is to know Him and to love Him. And as you do, that's going to be worked out in your life. And you're going to do well in the things of the Lord. So here's this important word that he gives to Solomon in verse 5. Moreover, you shall also, also um, know also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. And we know that Solomon uh, here is being taught now that you need to take care of some things first of all you need to deal with Joab he murdered Abner we saw that in 2nd Samuel chapter 3 you remember that Abner he was the commander of Saul's army Saul in 2nd Samuel chapter 15 was told Saul the kingdom has been taken from you and is going to be given to another a man after God's own heart chapter 16 of 2nd Samuel that it is Samuel the prophet that came to Jesse's house there in Bethlehem and he anointed David as the new king of Israel David was just only about 13 years old at that time we know that in chapter 17 David he would kill the champion from Gath Goliath and then he found favor with the people and Saul became very jealous of David began to pursue him in the wilderness and persecute him and try to kill him and Abner was the chief general over Saul's army and as Saul would die at the end of 1st Samuel as he would die with Jonathan there on Mount Gilboa we know that David would become king in in Hebron over Judah 
The nation was split at that time, and it was the house of Saul, Saul's son, that would then rule over the rest of the, the nation of Israel. And over time, what happened was, is that the house of Saul got weaker and weaker as you, you move into 2 Samuel, and then the house of David got stronger and stronger because it was God's will that David would be the king and that the nation would be united. The same thing should happen with you and me spiritually in that principle. You see, the house of Saul, that was the work of the flesh. And as we get closer to the Lord and love him and walk with him, you know, the flesh should be getting weaker and weaker. And then the things of the spirit should be getting stronger and stronger. And David was to be king. And Abner came to David and said, we know that the Lord wants you to be the king over all of Israel. Let's make a peace treaty. Let's come together and join together. And David said, great. But at that time, it would be Joab that would kill Abner in cold blood. And so Joab, who was joining in with Adonijah in this rebellion, Joab was kind of a loose cannon. And he was a loose cannon all through the reign of David. It would be later on in 2 Samuel chapter 20 that we see they ended up killing Amasa. And the reason that Amasa was killed was because after the death of Absalom. Now you remember Adonijah had an older brother. And his older brother, Absalom, there in 2 Samuel chapter 15, he rebelled against his father, David. He too was full of pride. He too exalted himself. And he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And he came into Jerusalem and he tried to usurp the throne from David. And he did. He actually sat on the throne. David fled from Jerusalem with his mighty men. They crossed the Jordan River. And so Absalom wanted to kill his father, David. And they went to war. And it was David who had a concern and a love for his son, Absalom, even though Absalom was trying to kill him. And David said, please, if you do battle, if you can spare Absalom's life, spare his life. And Joab heard the command, but Joab didn't care. And he ended up killing Absalom. And after that, David demoted him and made Amasa the general of his army. And Joab ended up killing Amasa in cold blood and took over the troops. So Joab is this loose cannon. And here is David is saying, you need to deal with him, Solomon. In verse 6, therefore do according to your wisdom. Do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Verse 7, but show kindness to the son of Barizeli, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And so here is the story as we read about Barizeli, uh, who was very kind to David. For 2 Samuel chapter 19, after Absalom is killed, David's coming back to Jerusalem. And Barzilla had given supplies to David and his men was very kind to David. And you recall that David said to Barzilla at that time, come to Jerusalem and man, you can eat at my table and, and I'll take care of you. And Barzilla said, listen, I'm 80 years old and, and I just assume go home and just live out the rest of my days in my hometown. You can take my family, you can take my son. So here is Solomon is going to take care of Barzillai, his family. Their family is going to be blessed. It would be like they would go into instant retirement and they would be set for life. So show kindness to, to Barzillai, the Gileadite, and his family. And he's going to sit and eat at, at my table. And so can you imagine how blessed this family is to eat at the king's table? but how more blessed we are because we're going to eat the king's table as well. And I can't wait till that day 
when we're all together at the marriage feast of the Lamb having dinner together. It's going to be a glorious, wonderful time as we'll be at the king's table. And we're going to be at the king's table and we're going to be with him for all eternity. In verse 8, And see, you have with you Shemai, the son of Gura, and Benjamites from Bahuram, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahaniam. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. In verse 9, Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. So Shimei, you recall, again, when David was fleeing Absalom, David crossed the brook Kedron over to the Mount of Olives as he's heading out into the wilderness to the east. Here is in that area of where the tribe of Benjamin was. Here is Shimei. He's a Benjamite. And he was cursing David. He said, curse you, David, for, you know, you've shed blood in the house of Saul. David had not done that. David was very kind to the house of Saul. David could have killed Saul a couple times, but David didn't do it because he said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to trust that the Lord's going to take care of Saul. He put him in as king. I'm going to let the Lord take him out as king. And the Lord did take care of it. But David showed kindness to Saul's household. He made a covenant with Jonathan, Saul's son, that he would not harm his family. And so David had been very gracious and kind to the house of Saul. And here Shimei, he was up there on the Mount of Olives, and he's throwing rocks at David. He's kicking the dirt, and he's cursing, and he's swearing David. And, 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 and here David, as he's leaving, and his head was covered, and he's walking barefoot, and he's grieving what had happened. And here's this guy just... just just, you know, cursing him and coming down on him. How I pray that would never be said of us. You know, there's a saying that Christians are the only ones that shoot their own wounded. And when people are down and discouraged and not doing well, oh yeah, we bring correction to them. Yes, we have to bring rebuke, but it would be done out of a mindset of love and a desire for them to, to be forgiven and be restored and, and get back into doing well in the things of God, rather than cursing and condemning and all of this. And it bothers me when I hear Christians that condemn and always down and being critical and all of this of other brothers and sisters. And here is Shemai that was doing that to David. One of the guys was saying, David, you're going to put up with this. Should I go over there and lop this guy's head off? And David said, no. Again, I'm going to trust in the Lord that the Lord's going to take care of it. Well, after the death of Absalom, when, when David was going to come back to be the king, Shimei was the first one down there at the Jordan River saying, David, I'm so sorry. David, I didn't mean it. And David said, you know what, Shimei, I'm not going to put you to death. He gave an oath, and that's what he's talking about here. But now he's saying to Solomon, Solomon, you're king, and you deal with him. And notice that he said to him that um, do not hold him guiltless, for you're a wise man there in verse 9, and know that you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Solomon's actually going to show grace to him. We'll see that in a little bit. But in verse 10, so David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Kind of interesting that David reigned for 40 years, a man after God's own heart. He rested 
with his fathers. And, and I like that phrase because, again, in those 40 years and even beyond that, ever since David was anointed king and as Jesse uh, would go and get him and Samuel the prophet anointed him, his life was uh, full of challenges and full of difficulties and trials and full of blessing as well. And David, man, he was always on the go and always something that was going on. And I like that he rested with his fathers where he has true rest now. As we live in this life, it's a battlefield out there. And I hope that as Christians that we understand it's a battlefield. It's not a playground. It's a battlefield. And I think there's a lot of emphasis in the church today about you know, convenient Christianity and, and being comfortable and, and what's in it for me and, and all of this when the Lord is more concerned about commitment and devotion and standing for righteousness and know that Jesus said that the world's going to hate you because the world first hated me. And know that the world is not going to applaud you as you walk with the Lord, as you are committed to the Lord, as you're one that's going to give the truth of God's word. You're going to stand for righteousness as you're one that is going to, to prioritize the kingdom of God. The world's going to come against you and it's going to be a battle out there. That's why Paul said put on the whole armor of God. So the world's going to come against you. The enemy's going to come against you. Your flesh rises up and comes against you. But you know what? As long as we are, are walking with the Lord and dependent upon the Lord, he's going to see us through and be faithful just as he was with David. And David served the Lord all the days of his life. And what my prayer for us is that we would serve the Lord all the days of our lives. Like I said, 40 years that he reigned. Interesting, Moses, his ministry was 40 years. Then we see Solomon that he ministered for, and he reigned for 40 years. And whatever years that the Lord has given to us and that we have left, that we would be committed each and every day that I'm going to live for you, Lord, that I want to have a heart after you, and Lord, that I just want to serve you and the opportunities that you've given to me and where you have placed me. So here was David, that, that he was faithful, the greatest king that Israel ever had. Now what we will see when we get into the kings of Judah that all those kings are going to be compared to David, and, and we'll talk about that, that, why that is so. But verse 13, And Adonijah, the son of Haggoth, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. And moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. So here comes Adonijah. Remember, this guy is full of pride, and um, he comes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and uh, he says, um, as he comes, she says, do you come peaceably? She obviously has her guard up, and uh, she has a right to have her guard up. And, um, and do you come peaceably? Yeah, I do, but I have something to say. Do you ever have somebody who is very arrogant, very prideful, and they'll come to you and say, I got something to say to you, and you're going, okay, what is this all about? And that's what I think is going through with Bathsheba at this time. So Solomon again said to him, listen, I won't execute you. You go home and you behave yourself. So now all of a sudden he shows up to speak with Bathsheba. And she's very suspicious. And, and, um, and, and so he's going to say what he has to say in verse 15. You know that the kingdom was mine and all Israel has set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, and do not deny me. 
And she said to him, Say it. Then he said in verse 17, Please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, his wife. So Bathsheba said, Very well, I'll speak to you for the king, or to the king, I'll speak for you. And so here he says, Listen to this. He says, The kingdom was mine. And all of Israel expected it. Now, do you think he's humbled himself? He's still very arrogant. He's very prideful. The kingdom was turned over, but not by the people, by the Lord. Like, that didn't really matter to him. He's not interested in spiritual things. Hey, I lost the kingdom. The, the, the kingdom should have been mine. He still has that mindset and that attitude, coming very prideful, coming in, you know, in the back door to Bathsheba. I'll go to Solomon's mom because she'll go and speak and, and he'll do what she says. And so here he is doing this. I lost the kingdom. Can he at least give me the lady? And we talked about Abishag. She was the one that nursed David in his last days. She would come and, and took care of David and kept him warm. And David did not know her. She would be a part of David's you know, concubines. And so with him coming and asking for her and you can initially read this and think well what's so bad poor Adonijah he lost the kingdom he's he's just asking if he can have this pretty gal you know to be his wife what's the big deal well he's still in rebellion and with her being one of you know his concubines David's and Adonijah asking for her to to for marriage it would send a signal to the nation that I still want to be king and that I ought to be king. That what was the king now belongs to me. It, it's kind of like, remember Absalom when he usurped the throne from his father's David? What was the first advice and counsel that he got from his counselors? You take David's concubines and you set up a tent before all of Israel and you have relations with them. And then when Absalom did that, he had crossed the line where there was no turning back that Absalom was going to have to be dealt with in this rebellion as being king. And Absalom was making a very clear statement that I am taking away what was David's, and I am now the king, and I'm going to remain as king. Until, of course, he would be killed. So Adonijah is saying in this, in a statement, that he still thinks that he should be king. So give her to me, and you go to, to Solomon. He didn't go to Solomon. But Bathsheba, you go and do this. So he's undermining here Solomon. In verse 16, as, as, um, or verse 19, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on the throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. So Solomon just showing respect to his mother. And then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, his wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also? For he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. 
And then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. So here is the response of Solomon. Bathsheba asked Solomon for the request. It's a small thing. Don't refuse me. Sure, mom, I'm not going to refuse you. Let Abishag be given to Adonijah. And I think she knew that it wasn't a small thing. And I think she knew how Solomon would react. And Solomon knew that something wasn't right here. Adonijah came to him, to you, Bathsheba, didn't he? And why don't we just give him the kingdom? And Joab and Abiathar, are they rebelling as well? So he knew that it was a rebellious you know, um, response that Adonijah had towards his kingdom. And so uh, he's trying to manipulate the situation. He's trying to set himself up to the nation that he ought to be king. So Solomon has him put to death. In verse 26, And to Abiathar, the priest of the king, said, Go to Anathoth to your own fields, for you are deserving of death, but I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. You remember that Abiathar, when David did have to flee Jerusalem from Absalom, that it was Zadok and Abiathar that went with David, and he carried the ark, and he helped David at that time. So here is Solomon saying, listen, Abiathar, in this rebellion... You know, against me, I'm not going to put you to death, but I'm going to put you in exile. And you go home. And the priesthood is going to be taken away from you in verse 27. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest of the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Now you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli was the high priest at that time. The tabernacle was in Shiloh, and Eli had two sons. And those two sons that he had were very, very wicked. They were full of carnality, they were robbing the people, and they were full of immorality as well because they were having relations with the women of Israel. And Eli, he would express you know, um, to them that, how can you guys do this? How can you do this wickedness before the Lord? But Eli did not do anything about it. So Eli, he failed in a way that David did. Eli didn't deal with his sons. Just as David, as we've discussed in our previous studies, that David, where he really fell short, was he didn't discipline his children. He let them get away with things. He swept it under the rug. He, he did it with Amnon. He did it with Absalom. He did it with Adonijah. And David failed in that area, and so did Eli. He allowed them to continue in the priesthood to, to do their sin and wickedness before Israel. So the prophecy would be given through Samuel concerning the family of Eli. And Eli, your two sons are going to be killed in battle, which happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4, and that your family is going to be removed from the priesthood forever. So this is a fulfillment of that as Abiathar was sent into exile. Abiathar from the line of Eli. Zadok is now the priest. He is from the house of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, and he's going to be doing the priestly duties now. So fulfillment of what was given years earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 2. In verse 28, then the news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had 
not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. So Joab knows uh, Solomon's cleaning house here. So um, I'm going to flee to this place of refuge to the tabernacle and take hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, and there he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, say, go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord, and he said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, no, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, thus said Joab. And thus he answered me. In verse 31, then the king said to him, do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. And so the Lord will return his blood on his head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword. Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my, though my father David did not know it. And their blood should, shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. In verse 34, so Benaiah the son of Jehoiada went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah the son of Jehoiada in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok the priest in a place over Abiathar. Joab was one, as I mentioned to you, he was a loose cannon. And I think that Joab thought that he could just take matters into his own hands. He could do whatever it is that he could do and he could get away from it. Nothing was going to happen to him. And you see, here's the thing, folks, that there's a very important spiritual principle and truth given us in the book of Galatians that whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And here was Joab, a loose cannon. He, he was taking matters into his own hands. He ignored the instructions of the king. He was one that did whatever it is that he wanted to do. And I think for a lot of years he thought, I'm getting away with it. I'll just do whatever it is that I want to. But here's the thing. Do not mistake the long-suffering and the forbearance of the Lord to think if you're involved in sin or you're doing your own thing, we're going away contrary to the ways of the Lord. Don't mistake the long-suffering and the forbearance of the Lord, thinking that the Lord is approving what you're doing or is ignoring or is indifferent or doesn't really care, whatever it might be. Because the Lord does, and He is long-suffering. And if there are things that are in your life that He's calling you to repent of, repent now. And know this, that the decisions and the actions and the things that we do that we're sowing seeds, and there's going to be a harvest that's going to come up. And we're going to reap what it is that we sow. And if you sow into the Spirit, you know, you'll reap into everlasting life. If you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. And that is a spiritual truth that none of us are exempt from that. And Joab thought that he was. And he ended up catching up with him. The other thing is, remember this, when you see somebody who it seems like they're getting away with things, and how can they be doing that, and why nothing happens, they're not getting away with it, folks. God sees it. And what you are to do is pray that they repent, because judgment is real. We talked about this, didn't we, as we went through our Revelation study. God's going to judge sin. You and I that have submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so thankful that Jesus took the punishment and was judged for our sins on Calvary's cross. But as a child of God, do not think that you can just 
continue in sin or in carnality or go your own way and not reap the consequences of it. Because the scripture warns us from Genesis to Revelation the consequences of sin and not following after the ways of the Lord and not repenting. And that's the message of the scriptures that we see throughout, repent. And it's a word that you don't hear much in the church today, but it's a very wonderful word. Because you see, when we repent, it means turns direction, surrender to the Lord, follow after him. That to be able to do that, that's what brings us that, that freedom because sin just holds us in bondage. And, and that's where we're going to do well and experience that abundant life that the Lord has for us. If the Lord is convicting you, listen to his voice. Take heed and turn to him. Joab didn't do that. And he ends up being executed. And then Shemai, verse 36, quickly, and we'll finish here. Then the king sent and called for Shemai and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go out from there anywhere. And for it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, for know for certain you shall surely die and your blood shall be on your own head. And Shemai said to the king, The saying is good, and my lord the king has said, So your servant will do. So Shemai dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So Shemai, who was again from the tribe of Benjamin over in that area where the Mount of Olives is towards the wilderness. And Solomon puts them under house arrest. Now remember David said, deal with them. Don't, he's not guiltless. And Solomon, out of his grace and mercy, says, listen, you stay in Jerusalem, you'll be okay. As soon as you leave Jerusalem, you're done for. And Shemai agreed to that in verse 39. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shemai ran away to Achish, the son of Mahakah, the king of Gath. And they told Shemai, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. That's over by the coast in uh, what used to be Philistine region. And so Shemai arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shemai went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shemai had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. And then the king sent and called for Shemai and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day that you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. And why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? And the king said, Moreover to Shemai, you know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. And thus the kingdom was established, the hand of Solomon. And so here he uh, does not um, stay in Jerusalem, and he would refuse the mercy of Solomon. And I want to leave you with this. As Hebrews chapter 2 tells us, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So great a salvation. We have a great salvation that's been given to us. Because Jesus Christ, when he was arrested in the garden, he crossed the brook Kedron. And he went on a series of trials and he took that Roman cross and he walked down the narrow streets of Jerusalem and went to that place of execution to die for you and for me so that you and I wouldn't have to die. And what the author of Hebrews was saying to those Hebrew believers is that Jesus is our salvation. How can you neglect that? It's not going to be found through your religiousness. It's found through your relationship in Jesus Christ. You know, that's my prayer for all of us that are here or if you're out in the coffee shop, that you have that relationship with Jesus Christ. 
because he loves you and he died for you and he calls you to repent and turn to him because he loves you so much. He died for you. He died for all of your sins. And the wages of sin is death, the scripture says. But the free gift of eternal life comes through Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray that as we here reminded of, of just your mercy that the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lord has shown us in our lives. That, Lord, we would respond to that. And I know that, that we have, but if there's anyone here that sin is going to be judged and Jesus came to take the judgment for your sin upon Calvary's cross, if all of our sins were placed upon him and he was judged in place of you, for you, and then he was put into a grave and he rose again after three days, he conquered sin and death. And if you never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, at every service we give opportunity for that. We want to give you, if you've never done that, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, that you are to turn to him. The scripture says repent. Jesus said, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he loves you so much. He wants you to quit going the direction you're going, which is not going to save you, which is not going to bring you into relationship with the Father, is coming and surrendering your heart to Him, recognizing who Jesus is, the Son of God who died for you, and that He loves you and wants to save you, forgive you, and bring you into reconciliation. That is right relationship with the Father. It only comes through Jesus, no one else and nothing else. It is Jesus alone. And just as we sang tonight, I surrender all. You have opportunity right now to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. You come, if that means anything to anyone here tonight. You pray, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me on Calvary's cross. Forgive me of my sins. I now turn to you, and I surrender my heart to you, and I come in faith. I believe that you died for my sins on Calvary's cross. Forgive me. I confess I'm a sinner. And I come to you and I believe that you rose from the grave and you're alive, knocking on the door of my heart right now. So I open up my heart to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for your forgiveness and love. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if anyone prayed that prayer here tonight, and. When we conclude the service, I want you to come up and pray with me. I'm just going to be right here. And